Good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one for you. The book of Jonah. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm very excited about this new study. We're going to spend four weeks going through the book of Jonah, and I'm excited because I want to reclaim the book of Jonah. I want to steal it back from the vegetables that have taken our minds and the cartoon whales that we see and, and those things that have kind of made this seem like it's something for kids. Oh, the book of Jonah, that's a kid's story. You know, we talk about that in Sunday school. But Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet under the reign of Jeroboam in the northern portion of the kingdom when Israel was divided. He's spoken about in 2 Kings chapter 14. Jesus talks about Jonah as being a prophet and says that as Jonah was three days in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man is going to spend three days in the heart of the earth. And he gives them this prophetic reliability. The nation of Israel regarded him as a prophet. When they would sit down and go through the book of Jonah, it was serious. It wasn't a kid's story. Now, we know that there have been instances where human beings have been swallowed by whales and have lived. There are accounts of that. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to dialogue and debate the reality of that. Some people think that the book of Jonah is an, a fable, a myth, that it's just a, a story, an allegory, but with the credentials that Jesus gives and with him being a prophet that we know of historically, I don't believe that's the case. I believe this is a genuine situation that has incredible application for our lives. The book of Jonah has been said to be the most consistent with revealing New Testament theology out of all the books in the Old Testament. The book of Jonah deals with man's free will and God's sovereign will in a way that's probably clearer than any other place in Scripture. And in the book of Jonah, the Old Testament, we see the heart of God clear, understanding what God cares about, understanding what people are about. And so the next four weeks, I hope you'll enjoy this time as I'm just enjoying going through it. It's been a neat, just refreshing for me, and I hope it is for you as well. Let's read chapter 1 together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they said, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Crazy stuff. It starts off with this man, Jonah, the prophet of God. And God tells him he wants him to go to the city at Nineveh. Nineveh is a great Assyrian city. It is the capital of Assyria. It's a huge city. It takes three days just to walk across the city. It's a city of wealth, prestige, it's also a city that is a part of a nation that is not in good standings with Israel. And so it is basically Israel's adversary. And so the Lord tells Jonah to go to this city that is basically their enemy. Now usually when God would send a prophet to go prophesy against the city, and that's what he told them to do. He says, go to the great city and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That's something that God usually told them to do to their own country. Go and talk to the people of your country, whether it was Isaiah, Jeremiah. They would go to their people and present God's judgment on them. And prophets were kind of known for being the people who point their finger at you. You know, this isn't the priest, this isn't the person you go up to who puts his arm around you. The prophet's the one who says, thus says the Lord, you better straighten up or God's going to get you, kind of a thing. And so here 
God is telling Jonah, go to the adversary and tell him I'm coming to get them. And you would think he'd be like, cool, I get to go let him have it. But he doesn't. And it's interesting that God is aware of their wickedness. You see, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter where you are or who you are, God cares about what you do. He's interested in the people of Nineveh. And their wickedness has come up, and so God wants to deal with it. And so he tells Jonah, go to this great city and tell them that I I know what's going on, and they need to change. Now, Jonah, it doesn't tell us in this passage why he runs away, but it tells us in verse 2, after he tells them that, that their wickedness has come before him. In verse 3 it says, And Jonah ran away from the Lord. I know that sounds funny. How do you run away from the Lord? But he does. And he's headed to Tarshish. Now Tarshish is at the southern tip of Spain. And as far as we understand, Tarshish was like a port city. In other words, it was a place where ships go. And then from there they go further. And so we see Nineveh is over here and Tarshish is over here. But Tarshish is a stepping stone. It's the first leg of the journey to get even further still. And so Jonah says, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going to, to Nineveh. I'm heading to Tarshish. He goes down to a boat finds a ship. Hey, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going to Tarsus down here. Okay, I'll head out there. And then from there, who knows where he's planning on going. But he's planning on leaving further and going somewhere away. Now, notice that Jonah is not a pagan. He's a prophet. But even a prophet or someone who knows God, who knows the Lord, can run away. See, a lot of times we think, well, who who runs away from the Lord? It's those people like the Ninevites. You know, they're evil and they're running away from God. And they're, you know, God is trying to reach them, but they're running away. But the truth is that there are a lot of people who know the Lord who are running away from the Lord as well. And when God asks them to do something, they freak out. You know, it's easy to blame Jonah and say, dude, you're a prophet. You know, come on, get in the game. Do what you're supposed to do. That's your job. The prophet's supposed to hear from God and do those things. But the truth is, we run away as well. There are times when we ourselves do not want to hear God. It's easy for us to look at Jonah and say, yeah, you should have gone to Nineveh, but when God tells us to do something, how do we respond? You see, we run away from God for various reasons. Maybe it's we don't want to stop doing something that we're doing. We don't believe maybe that God really knows what's best for us. You know, if I am obedient and following after God, it's going to be detrimental to my income, to my status, to my way of living. We run away because we don't understand maybe the pain that we're in or we've gone through, and so we don't trust God for our lives and our future because we have a hard time understanding why we've gone through what we've gone through. And so instead of listening to God, we run away from Him because we're hurt. And that emotional hurt puts up a wall between us and God. Maybe we run away from God because it just seems like it's too hard. It's too much work. And so, 
we look at Jonah and says, why is he running away from God when God told him to go to Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was 500 miles from where Jonah was. So it's a long way away, especially without automobile transportation. But not only was it far away, it was in a location that he didn't want to be in. And I think we can understand that. You know, I just talked about the five-day club. What if God's telling you to go to your neighborhood? What do you feel? Uneasy, don't you? A little awkward, a little, I don't know. You know, I think I'll, I'll be out of town that week. I'll go visit my, you know, uncle who I haven't visited in 10 years because I'd rather do that than involve myself with this. And we run away from God from various things as well. Maybe God is telling you, I want you to go and talk to your dad and ask forgiveness or to forgive him. It's like, oh no, that's getting too close to home. I, I don't want to go there. And God is asking us to go somewhere and we run away. Because what God is asking us to do does not sit well within us. It's asking of us something that makes us uncomfortable. And instead of dealing with it, we would rather run away. And we see that's the case with Jonah. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm your prophet. Yeah, I hear from you. I know about you. I've prophesied for you in times past. But I don't want to do that. And what's amazing about the book of Jonah is we never see God force Jonah to change his mind. He brings opportunity to make changing his mind a whole lot more pleasant. But he never imposes his will on Jonah. It always has to be Jonah making the choice. And the same is true with us. God will not force you or me to do anything. We can run away if we want to. And make no mistake about it, the ones who I believe run away most from God are the ones who know him. It's not so much those who are running away because they're trying to hide their sinful activity. The ones who run away are the ones who know God. And God is saying, I want you to step into a fuller life, a life that is more committed, a life that is devoted to me. And we say, yeah, that's kind of crowding my style. That's a little uncomfortable. I'm happy the way things are. No, thank you. I'm heading to Tarsus. And we make choices so that we don't have to hear the voice of God and we think, well, if I move into this place, God will leave me alone. Well, that's not the case. How sad is this story? When the storm comes and we see that the sailors are afraid because the boat's breaking apart, and they all start crying out to their gods, whoever those gods are. And the one who knows the true God, the living God, the one who actually has a relationship with the God is asleep. If that's not a picture of the church today, we have people seeking God 
in everything and in every way. Reaching out, trying for this, trying for that. And the church is asleep. How are we asleep? We come to church. We're deaf to their cries. We're deaf to the things that they're saying. We're deaf to the situation that they are in. We are deaf to involving ourselves with them. We, we'd rather just stay in our own comfort than involve ourselves in their lives to make a difference. And so we're numb to those things. We're asleep to those things. And while they cry and they pray to who knows what, for whatever reason, where are we? Do we know what they're crying? Do we know what they're praying? Do we know what they're saying? Are we even aware of what's going on in their lives and their situation? Or are we in our own little bubble and we're asleep and we're happy to stay this way? And God says, get out. I want you to go and involve yourselves with their lives. But God, you know, they're, they're, they're foul. They, they're profane. They speak, you know, and they cuss and, and they drink and some of them smell and some of them, you know, I just don't like. I mean, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a retreat. Let's go up in the mountains and get away from them. Let's run away. And the one who knew was asleep when the ones who didn't have a clue were crying, trying anything to get help. What a picture. What a picture. That just stirs my heart and it convicts me. It makes me wonder, am I asleep to the cries of the people around me? Am I willing to press in and involve myself? Am I willing to go to the Nineveh? Am I willing to hear what God is asking me to do and step into that? Or am I running away? Now, it's a neat progression that we see take place in these sailors' lives. In verse 5, it says that they fear the storm, but later on in verse 16, it says that they fear the Lord or they fear Yahweh. Verse 5, it says they cried to all their gods. In verse 15, it says they cried out to Yahweh. And so one point we see that they're afraid of their environment. Next, we see that they're afraid of the God of the environment. One point we see them crying out to whoever their God is, Later on, they cry out to the true God. Verse 6, it says that they ask Jonah to wake up. In verse 11, they ask Jonah, what do we want us to do? And so we see this place where they're moving in a short time. I mean, this is just in, in one instance. They're moving from a place of insignificance to significance, moving from a place of just hollow belief to a place of substantial belief. And it happens so quickly, as soon as there's a change. Last night when I was preparing the, the study, it was getting late, and I have a bad habit when it's late. I, I like to eat. And I wanted some cereal. And so I, I went into the cupboard and opened the cupboard, and there was no cereal. And so I had to settle for pepperoni and cheese and crackers, um, something light. Uh, <laughs> but you know what's the worst thing is when you go to the cupboard and you get your cereal and you pour it in the bowl, right? And you guys know where I'm going. And you open the refrigerator and there is no 
milk. No, God, why? (laughs) You had the taste. You could feel the cereal in your mouth and there will be no snap, crackle, or pop. You know, there... You're left with silence and and just dry cereal. And it just lets you down. It's just this empty feeling, you know? What is it like when you open up your heart and you look in your life and there's no substance you, you realize that you're not a person of integrity. That you're not a person of honesty, of loyalty. That you're loyal to nothing but what you desire. What happens when you actually see the truth about yourself and you're left wanting? You're left with a recognition that I am not what I should be. And the distance that you need to travel to become that person seems too great for you. But not too great for God. And a life can change in a moment when we recognize the truth about who we are. When we open the refrigerator and we see there's, there's no milk in there. There's no integrity in my life. I'm deceptive. I'm a liar. I'm self-serving. And we would be mistaken to think that that only applies to people who don't know about God. There's many a follower of Christ who has come to a place and said, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Where the truth about ourselves is overbearing. And we see these men, these sailors, move from this place where there's a change. What happens when we're afraid of what friends think, what people think, rather than what God thinks? What happens when we cry out for things that don't help us, that don't satisfy? Isaiah says, why do you spend your money and buy bread that doesn't satisfy? And we're crying out for things to fill our lives, but they don't. We're so focused on the job, getting that girl, that guy. We spend our our energy for things that will not satisfy. You know, they first told Jonah, hey, you need to wake up. And then later they said, what do we need to do? And we find ourselves many times in the same situation or, or... We call on Jesus, just like they called on Jonah first for the wrong reason. We can call on Jesus for the wrong reason. We call on Jesus and say, Jesus, change my circumstance. 
Help me get out of this circumstance when what needs to change isn't your circumstance. What needs to change is your character. And we're asking him for the wrong thing. And we find ourselves in a place much like them where we have to see that what God is wanting to do is not just change the circumstances, but to change them. And he does an amazing thing in these sailors' lives. He changes them. You know, Jonah is running away from God, and that picture just seems funny. Have you ever watch Cops? And, you know, they've got this guy running, and they've got a helicopter. And you're like, dude, there's a helicopter. Run as fast as you want. There's a helicopter. You know, and the helicopter, yeah, he's, he's under the tree right now. Okay, yeah, no, he moved out from under the tree. And the, you know, the guy's booking as fast as he can. He's, you know, and he's going for two blocks, and the helicopter's just hovering. The light's on him. You know, yeah, he, he just went in the doghouse. He's in the doghouse right now. And you're thinking, dude, just raise your hands and say, okay, you got me. You, you'd think that would be Jonah's instant. You know, you just like, you can't run from God. Where are you going to go? But he tries to, and, and he moves himself out to this place where he thinks, okay, I am not going to go where God wants me to go. I'm going to head over to Tarshish, and then who knows where. And so he's off on this journey. And then we see that there's this awakening. There's the time where there's a pivotal change that takes place in this chapter. And it takes place in verse 9 and 10. When finally they come up to him and they say, who are you? And he answers and he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. Now the word for worship, it might say in a King James Version, I fear the Lord. It's the same word that's used there in verse 10 that says they were terrified. You see, the word worship and the word terrified are the same word. But it really depends on your perspective and where you're coming from. You see, if you know God and you know who God is, you can worship him. You have this understanding of him. But if you don't know him, it's a terrifying thing. And what happens to us many times is as we're following Christ, we get used to these things. Oh, yeah, well, God is doing something. You know, the situation takes place in my life and you find out that, you know, I have to own up. God's dealing with me. And you take it as like, yeah, well, God's just dealing with me. But you know what it looks like for someone else to hear that God's dealing with you? Oh, my gosh. What does that look like? That's a terrifying thing. But we get into this place where we get comfortable with it. Well, yeah, God's work. God's dealing with me. That's pretty serious, isn't it? God's dealing with you? And it's an amazing thing because this is where Jonah comes to this place and he recognizes, yeah, it's me. See, I, I worship the living God, the one who made the sea that we're dealing with right now. I, I come clean. That, that's the reality of it. it. That's where I'm at. And he comes to this place where the helicopter is in the sky, the light's on him, and he's saying, I'm busted. It's me. I can't run anymore. 
You, you found me, God. And it's an amazing thing. At least it's been amazing in my life, and I've told this to my kids too. God will not let you get away with it. I don't know how many times my kids say, why me? You know, the cops could have pulled anyone over. Why me? And I just kind of, don't know. Well, I do know. God's after you. Your mom prays for you. I pray too, but she prays more. You see, and you have this idea, why does this keep happening to me? What's going on where I, I keep getting this awareness of this circumstance? Well, the spotlight's on you. You belong to Yahweh. You belong to the living God who made the earth and the sea. And so it doesn't really matter where you run. He, he's going to find you. And from your perspective, it's like, oh, man, God, why, why have you got me? But from another person's perspective, it's a pretty terrifying thing to think that God would single you out and get you in the spotlight. They were terrified. Jonah was like, yeah, it's me. I'm busted. This awakening changes the perspective. It, it, it's an understanding of, okay, I can't run. So what do we do now? And, and what we need to recognize here in, in the story of Jonah and what's taking place, the motivation for the whole book is love and mercy. The reason God told Jonah to go to Nineveh is because he cared about the Ninevites. The reason that there was a storm that was keeping them from moving forward was because God cared about Jonah and he cared about the sailors. And, and I love what happens after he's like, okay, it's me, you, you need to throw me overboard. And they're like, we can't do that. We can't just throw the prophet of God overboard to let him die. And so they try to row to shore. You know, it's like we're going to take him and we're going to put him on the shore. Here's your prophet God. We didn't know about him. Sorry. You know, take him back and we'll be done with it. They just want to, you know, get rid of the situation. But the storm won't let them. And you see, this is what's wonderful is God is in the waves, knitting and fabricating just his plan. It's this tapestry of the will of God, not allowing them to fulfill what they want, but God working so that what he wants will be accomplished in them. And finally, they can't fight against the storm, and so they said, hey, don't kill us. We didn't want it to go this way. You kind of forced our hand. Okay, adios, Jonah. And they throw him in, and then it's calm. And then what did they do? They worshipped Yahweh. They worshipped the living God. They made devotion to him. All those other gods that we were crying out to before, they mean nothing to us now. No, we'll, we'll, we'll follow you from now on. You're, you're the guy we're going to listen to. You see, the motivation to reach out to Nineveh, the motivation to reach Jonah, the motivation to reach these sailors, 
It's love. It's mercy. God is caring for these people. He's trying to reach these people. And he is going through unbelievable lengths that seem just mind-boggling to us. But it's nothing for him. Every now and then, Karina will ask me, how can God hear everybody's prayer at the same time? How can he do that? And her mind just kind of goes, and it blows a circuit because it's too much to understand. But the Lord revealed to Isaiah, and it says, as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. Now think about that. The heavens, how far above the heavens are they than the earth? What's the sun? 93 million miles away? And light travels how many miles per second? And we know that the furthest galaxy away is like 123 billion light years away. Just giving you a little perspective of how high God's ways are above our ways. And that God can orchestrate the sea. He can orchestrate a fish. He can orchestrate all these things to reach people with his mercy. But what he can't do is change a person's heart. He lays everything out to the place where they can make the decision, where they can see clearly, where they can open the refrigerator and see, you know, this isn't working. I don't have what it takes. I need something else. He can bring the light on them and says, it's me, I'm following you. But they have to say, I surrender. But it's his mercy that reaches out and is weaving this tapestry for his will to be accomplished. The love of God is more dangerous than we ever thought. It's furious. It's jealous. The storm is destroying them. What is it? It is the love of God reaching out to them. And it's stronger than you would imagine. And it's stronger than probably you would like. It doesn't let go. And that idea of being jealous. Have you ever had a boyfriend or a girlfriend who was jealous? Who imposed themselves on you? I remember when I was in high school. I was in my art class. And it, it was kind of an art class. You know, you kind of did what you want. This was in the 70s. And... I had my guitar there, and I was playing my guitar in my art class. Hey, it's art. Um, and I think it was towards the end of the school year, so things were pretty lax. And I remember just sitting there with a group. We were just kind of hanging out, and we were playing, I forget, like an eagle song or something like that. I was just playing this. And my girlfriend was in the classroom next door, and, and she came walking in and saw me sitting with this group. And there were girls in the group as well as guys. And she came in. I was like, hey, how's it going? And she goes, we need to go now. And I was like, why? Where, where are we going to go? She goes, we need to go. And I said, why? She goes, because otherwise I'm going to break your face. And I was like, oh, okay. And me being a man who makes my own decisions, I chose to leave. Um, <laughs> but jealousy imposes itself on you. It, it's ferocious. It's consuming. And God is jealous for you. And he'll rage the storms. And he will bring what seems like calamity at times. 
to try and extend his love. You see, this storm wasn't just God being mad. This storm was God's love trying to reach these people. This storm was God's mercy to Nineveh. And what seems ferocious to us, what seems dangerous, is really God's love. Extending his hand out to us. In his love, he is willing to risk your physical, material comfort to call you to an eternal and spiritual relationship. He sees what's really important. He sees what we really need. And when we're so concerned about the, the temporary and the physical comforts and the things that we have right now, God is saying, no, I, I've, I see more than that. I am not going to allow you to live here in this way. I will bring whatever is necessary to get you out of there. And it might be a storm that shakes your world, that devastates you, and you wonder, God, what's going on? And he says, I'm the living God. And I am calling you. And I'm asking you to follow me. And I won't let you go. And I won't ignore those things. Even your wickedness comes to my ears and I hear it and I won't let it go. And so many times I, I think we fail to recognize that the calamity in our lives is many times the hand of God trying to shake us and wake us up to the situations that are taking place in our lives. And it's an amazing thing how that happens. When something devastating happens, whether it's an illness, a financial crisis, how many people come to the Lord when they've lost their job, lost their boyfriend? All of a sudden it's like, ah, I hurt God, why? And the God says, you need me. The light, poof, shines on. I'm here. I've been following you. Can we go where I'm asking you? The sailors want to drop Jonah off, but they can't. Finally, they throw him overboard. God never forces Jonah or negates his freedom, but in a majestic way, he works in the danger, the circumstances, and orchestrates his love and mercy. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, While we were yet sinners, God poured his love out towards us. While we were still sinners, God poured his love out towards us. You see, our position, our circumstances, never stops God from trying to reach us. And even when we're in the worst situation of our lives, God is extending himself to reach out for us. He's demonstrating his love and he pours his love out to us. Now this is the stage being set. Jonah hasn't had a change of heart yet. He still does not want to go to Nineveh. He still doesn't see God's way. He's not seeing eye to eye with how God wants to do things. But God is 
working within the situation within Jonah to accomplish his will. And in the next three weeks, we're going to see how that takes place. We're going to see how God changes not only a man, but changes a nation. And we're going to see the heart of God clearly in this book. But maybe today you are like Jonah. God is saying, I want you to do this. And you're saying, no, not me. I don't want to commit to that. I don't like being involved. I don't like the pressure. I don't want those kinds of things. But maybe God is asking you, are you going to run away? And, and I don't know what those things are. I don't know what those needs are. I mean, I could tell you, I was supposed to announce, there's needs in our children's ministry, nursery ministry. We always have needs there. But there are more than that. There are needs in your neighborhood, whether it's the five-day club or just reaching out to the people that are there. God wants you to step in and move somewhere. Where? What? Are you blind? Are you deaf to his call? He's asking you, and are we running away? Because we don't want to give ourselves over to what he wants. We need to see if that's the case because this story should open our eyes enough to say, I don't want to run away. Because where do you run away from God? You can't. But the bigger question is, why would you want to? When he loves you and would go to such lengths to work in your life. Let's pray. Father, this book has challenged me and it's opening my eyes and asking questions of my heart. Lord, I can see how the things that have taken place in Jonah's life have taken place in my own life and in the lives of those who I know and love. How, God, your love is dangerous, is jealous, is merciful is good. But Lord, sometimes I don't want what is good. Sometimes I don't want what is right. But Lord, there has to be a time in each of our lives where we come to that turning point where we recognize if we belong to you, if we name ourselves with you, Christ, then our lives don't belong to us. They belong to you. And the fulfillment of our life will never be found in the desires that we have, but in the desires that you have for us. And God, some of us are running away from you. Some of us are opening every door, trying to find something. Some of us will, will do just about anything Let's bow our knees and say, okay, God, you win. And we get knocked down and we get knocked down and our hearts get broken and we get bruised. And we cry out, why, God, why, God? But really, 
you're crying to us, why? Why won't you hear me? Why won't you listen to me? Why won't you come to me? Why do you run away? Father, I pray our hearts would not be content until we rest in you, until we recognize that what you have for us is the best thing. It's the satisfying thing. Father, you, you're the well that won't run dry. Father, you're that cup that overflows. You are able to quench the thirst of our souls. May we stop running away from you and instead run to you. Lord, I, I pray you would bless your people. I pray you would bless all of us here that we would open our hearts, our eyes to you. I, I pray for, for Genesis, Lord, that you would use us to be an influence to our community. I pray for our children, our children's ministry. I pray for the needs for a, a building, an office, our desire to reach, our desire to follow after you, Lord, and to be an avenue that you can use. Lord, may we recognize that this is our calling, that Genesis isn't an organization, that we are the church. We are a part of your work. And we each have a responsibility to you. And the only way this moves forward is if we move forward. And Lord, you're calling us. You're asking us. May we listen. May we obey. And Father, we will be blessed if we do. We know so. Lord, I ask these things and pray these things stay in our heart. And I do ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.